Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm the pastor here. Our mission here is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We do here what any good Christian church should do, which is to help you grow in your relationship with God and help you connect with Him in a worshipful way. Our style, it just might be a bit different than what you're used to, but we're still true to the Bible. We take God very seriously and want to guide you and encourage you in your weekly walk with God. This week, we're kicking off a new series called Talking Points, the perfect blend of politics and religion. Ugh. Can there be such a thing? Like, in this series, though, what we're going to do is we're going to look to the Bible to see how God wants us to actually address today's big talking points or controversial topics or in an even easier way to say the news headlines, right? The news headlines. We all see the headlines these days and they instantly make us think something, right? And 99% of the time it's polarized one way or the other. They're always taking us to the extreme in our emotions like we either love it or we hate it, right? We either love it or hate it. Well, what we're going to cover in this series is even in the midst of the hostility, the divisiveness, the political unrest, God wants his people to approach things in a particular way. And probably not in just the way you think he would want us to. We're going to talk about things like, like how if you're a Christian, you should be a pretty unoffendable person. You should be someone that chooses unity over uniformity or instead of having sameness you should have God be involved in more than just your policies or more than just like what you think should happen on Sunday, but you should have him be a part of what you think about policies and your personal choices of that. And then above all, followers of God, they should be known for one main thing. One main thing. And it's not Republican, it's not Democrat, it's not pro-choice or pro-life or vaxxers or anti-vaxxers for public school or against. It's none of those. But scripture says in John 13, 35, it says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Christians should be known for their love. Is that the case these days? Is that the case? I don't know about you, but for me, I would say having people know I'm a follower of Jesus is pretty superior to me, right? It's pretty superior to people knowing that instead of my political views or where I land on today's talking points. But I don't know if my actions point to me being known for that simply based off of my love. How about you? How about you? Is being known as a follower of Jesus by your love superior to being known for anything else? Yikes, right? Yikes. But with that, though, it's going to be an intense couple of weeks here at Centerpoint, mainly for me. I'm already sweating right now. Can we, like, turn the AC up or something in there? Because it's getting hot. Because we're tackling such charged topics, right? And I want to just state here, before we dive in, is here at Centerpoint, we have a beautiful blend of people that have such different backgrounds from one another. And I think it's amazing. We have Democrats, we have Republicans, we have different backgrounds, we have different, different races or ages or upbringings or generations or socioeconomic statuses. It's, it's a blend here. It's amazing. It's so beautiful. And I think it's a beautiful picture of what heaven will look like one day. So no matter what you think about me, though, or what, where, where you think I align with things, my goal as a pastor is not to try and get you to like me, 
It's not to share my personal views as I never try to share my personal views from stage, especially so politically. But my honest goal is to be used by God to point you to what Scripture says about handling hot talking points and give you something each week for you to personally wrestle with on God, on ensuring that you're living more and more aligned with Jesus. So today, we're talking about becoming unoffendable. And I'm going to say it right away, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you today. I'm going to try and offend you in some way, so be prepared for that. Who's up for being offended at least a little bit today? All right. Some of you said yes. Thanks for that. Um, but as part of the series, I, I read the book uh, called Unoffendable, and it's by Brant Hansen, and it's where many of these ideas come from today. But to start, he has this big idea that priests to prisoners, so anybody in between, priests to prisoners, nearly everyone thinks they're morally better than the average. On that note, we're going to start with a game, all right? <laughs> because it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. I want you to think, how many of you think you're healthier than the average person? How many of you think that you're a better driver than the average person? How many of you think that you're smarter than the average person? How many of you think you're smarter than a fifth grader? We were going to find out. So you remember that game, Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Uh, it was like a thing, like on TV all the time. They got a new host. I think it's John Cena. Like, I think there's a picture of him. I think he's the, he's the new host. Well, I got a couple challenges for you to see if you are smarter than a fifth grader. I'm not going to say the answers, because you got to personally decide like, if, you're, if you're smarter or not. But here's the first one. Softball for you. All right, softball. How about this one? How many teaspoons are in five tablespoons? Who knows that? Okay. There are three secondary colors. Two of them are purple and green. What is the third? How about this one? Japan is in which ocean? Indian, Pacific, Atlantic, Arctic? Huh? Next one. In the 1960s and 1970s, where did Amer the American spacecraft land after they'd finished their mission? What do you think? Do you know these? Do you know these questions? Are you smarter than a fifth grader? I, I saw some of these. I'm like, what? I don't know that. No matter who you are, though, right? Generally, we tend to think we are smarter or better than others. At least a fifth grader, right? Or at least we thought we did until we just publicly learned or maybe privately learned that we're not. Yet even being humiliated in maybe a silly way just inside just a minute ago, there's been surveys done that say about 65% of us think that we are smarter than the average person. If you don't know why that's problematic, well, yeah. Uh, I just find it really interesting. I find it really interesting that 65% of us think we're smarter than the others. We think we have it figured out. I mean, let's be real though, right? How often would we say, ah, eh, I'm just not that smart. I'm probably wrong in this. I, I do, the way I do life, it, it's better than others, like, or it's not better than others, or how I think is, is probably not best. How often do we actually say that? Never, right? I mean, why would we ever purposely be dumb, ignorant, think inferior, or try to be in the lower 50%? We would never do that. We tend to think we are smarter and more right than others. So when people say we do things that we, or people say or do things that we disagree with, or are hurt by, or don't like, or would never choose, we tend to take offense, I myself included. For example, I'm going to give you a few examples of myself, because I have a pretty clear picture of what's right and wrong. Note the sarcasm. 
Think about this one. Mayo should never be on anything. Pineapple belongs on pizza. Anything with the word fruit is a health food. And desserts should all include chocolate. If you disagree with me, you're just wrong. Those are things I, I believe in. Because I know. I know those things. You might be like, all right, whatever, Aaron. Like, we can agree to disagree. It's just food. But what if I keep going? What if I say, you must have manners? You earn your respect. You don't leave people on the dot, dot, dot when you're texting. You should arrive earlier on time. A lot of you did that today. Awesome. Cleanliness is important. You should have a budget. All husbands should get back rubs at the end of the night. You might agree with me. You might be like, no, nah, I, I disagree, Aaron. Well, you might be like, whatever. We, we can move on. We, well, wait until you have to deal with more kids, Aaron. Like, then, then maybe you'll understand. But I disagree with you still. There's still no real strong offense between us. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, if let's say I have a strong opinion of vaccine or no vaccine, mask or no mask, who kneels, who doesn't, who voted right or who voted left, the results, who marched, who didn't, who wants change or who wants things to go back to the way they used to be. And then we see the disagreement, and it's like, eh, eh. You did what? You really think that? Because if you did the opposite, I'm offended because you're wrong and I'm right. We can be cordial about some things, but division, it festers if we let it in. And all of a sudden, we start thinking the other person's a plain old idiot. Plain old idiot. I'm being a little cynical and a little rash, harsh here, but stay with me for a second. We get offended because I think I choose the best and you choose the opposite. And our disagreement, it creates an offense in us. Last week, I was in the Quick Trip parking lot, uh, and I want to say, I went to Quick Trip like four times. Has anybody been there where it's like, you're getting gas, it feels like every time you get in the car, you got to get stinking gas, you got to like, you're, you're getting bananas or milk or whatever it is. Quick Trip's amazing, they have a lot of great stuff, but... That's not an opinion. <laughs> it is actually an opinion. But anybody else been there? You've been to Quick Trip a gazillion times. Well, they have the worst parking lots ever. Can anybody agree with me on that? All right, some of you are there. They're always packed. And people are trying to pull in and pull out all over the place. Well, one day I'm picking up bananas. I just pulled out of my spot. And this guy pulls in, swoops into the parking spot. I just, as I'm like pulling out, swoops in. So I honked at him. I did a couple beep, beep, beep. And then all of a sudden, like gave him the bird and drove away. Just kidding. Maybe didn't do that. But I was offended. Still not great, right? Sorry if you hear that a pastor feels that way sometimes. But I was offended. But then I, again, I went to Quick Trip multiple times. And the other day, I'm at Quick Trip again. I'm trying to park because I need to just run it real quick, real quick, in and out. And then all of a sudden, this, this woman, she's backing out. She's backing out. And like, you know, the, the, the spot where she's about to pull through, I'm like blocking it. So she's backing out, and we're kind of at the standstill. And so I swoop into the parking spot, and she does one of these beep, 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 blah, blah. You know, like I see her head like shaking, and she yells, yeah, idiot. Right? And I'm like, you're the idiot. And I'm angry. She's angry. I'm offended. She's offended. This is something that actually happened. What I'm trying to show, though, is, is when it comes to us and others' opinions of their actions, the other person who does something to interfere with our way is always the idiot in our mind. And we're offended. Because honestly, when am I going to place myself as the idiot? Never, right? 
Even when I mess up or know full well that I'm wrong, I instantly tell myself, my intentions were pure. I should get grace. I should get grace. It's what's happening with us in the little things. It's what's happening with us in today's big top button pushing topics. We tend to feel a response. We feel right. And we're so quick to escalate to anger and offense and to calling people idiots or to thinking they're idiots. Especially when it comes to people that think differently than us. If this is so counter to what scripture implies. In James 1.19, it says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But you might be thinking, my anger is righteous. I got a righteous anger. Do you know what they believe, what they think? Honestly, all people thrive on making ourselves feel offended or feel like we're the victim because it makes us feel morally righteous. To get aggravated at the behavior of other people, to get angry, it makes us feel more right. I was, uh, I was thinking about this as my wife and I, we got in a little, a little fight this week. It was, it was not fun. I tend to work late on Wednesdays. It's just kind of the system. There's a lot of things that are happening here at church on Wednesdays, so I work late. That's part of our normal routine. And she wanted to do a few things after I would get home from working at her job, uh, even later. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Well, I'm still at work. It's like 9 o'clock. She calls me, and there's a tone. You know, there, you know, like there's something wrong. Like when there's a tone, like it's like, so when are you, when are you coming home? I'm like, I'm, I'm leaving right now. I'll leave home soon. You know, like there's, there's definitely a tone. I'm coming home now. So I, I'm like, great. I get in the car. I start driving. I get home. And all of a sudden, I pulled in. Her car was started as I pull in. And I pull in, and I get out the door, and she backs out, right? It's like, we don't even, like, make, like, a, a common gesture, except I try to do one. I'm like, bye, I love you. Try to, and, like, she didn't even make eye contact with me. She's out. She's gone. I'm like, ooh, all right, this is going to be fun. Bye. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm offended. I was angry that she was angry, thinking, like, don't you get it? It's my night to work late. What she was doing is she was making a sub, she's a teacher, she was making a sub plan last minute because our child has been sick, she needed to stay home and take her to the doctor that morning, and she felt Wednesday after I was done working late was the time that she should do it. Well, this is our standoff. This is our moment of fight. We both had righteous feelings. It was my night to work, but she was also doing something abnormal for the family that needed to get done, so it was her right to do it. I didn't want to let up on my anger because it felt like I was then not righteous and she didn't want to let up on her anger because she felt righteous too. Spoiler alert, we made up. We made up. We're good. We made up that night. But to get angry is easy. To let it go, to not take offense, to forgive or to move on and to not be offended is hard. Again, James says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Slow to anger. Because do you know what James says after that verse? He says this. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. What this is saying is your anger response to a situation, it is not what God wants. No matter what. Your offended anger-like response, no matter what happened or what it is, is not what God desires. 
You could be honestly 100% right in your reason for anger, but the anger, but the offendable attitude in your action while being angry is not producing what God desires. It's not. I love when science and scripture, they align so well at this, and it's very clear in this example. Harvard, Harvard Business Law, they did a study on anger, and they found that when we are angry, we don't make clear, level-headed decisions. There's, there's a picture, and it's on the bottom here, it says, like, when we're unaccountable to our anger, we just let it fester. We tend to blame others instead of correcting, our, uh, correcting ourselves and not blaming others. They said, we, when we're angry, we judge the behavior of defendants in unrelated cases harshly, where if, let's say, we were kind of let our anger go, we're even-handed in subsequent decisions. Meaning, we just tend to, like, once we're angry, we hold so much in. And it makes us be harsher. But when we're not angry, we're a bit easier. We're a bit softer. We just don't make good choices when we're angry. Just think, at a restaurant, do you want your cook to be angry at you or pleasant? What choice do they tend to make based off of that? Would you prefer your boss to be angry in his decision-making of you or not? Would you prefer a police officer who pulled you over to be angry at you or not? Would you prefer a military to make a decision angry-filled or not? Anger and offense, they do damage. I mean, look at the very popular Marvel character that's created off of this Hulk, right? He's, when he's angry is when damage happens. And none of us are surprised by this, right? None of them are like, hmm, that's weird. When he gets angry, he's able to do so much more. I can't believe he like, does so much damage when he's angry and turns into a giant monster. That's so weird. For all you Marvel and Bible scholars out there, you might be like, well, the Hulk can do good with his anger. Well, I say it's a movie. For you Bible nerds out there, you would say, well, Jesus would get angry. Jesus gets angry. He flipped tables, he, he said harsh, direct comments, and all kinds of things like that. And I see that, and I see you. But the difference of Jesus and you is Jesus is holy, Jesus is perfect, he knew the ways of God. Jesus knew when his anger was righteous. No matter how much we think that we know, we just don't. We just don't. We aren't equipped to be judges. Again, 65% of us think we're smarter than the average. To be actually specific about this survey that was done, actually 70% of us men, I'm putting myself in that, in that uh, category, think we're smarter than others. Some of us have to be wrong, right? In that, in that population, some of us have to be wrong. We are not perfect or right all the time or holy all the time. We don't have the right to think our anger is justified, which is why God says it's not what he desires. He isn't saying it's a crime to get angry. It's just not what God desires. There's another study that was done at Pepperdine uh, University, and it revealed that people who tend to be intellectually humble, they actually tend to be smarter. People who have humility are actually turned out to be smarter. It's implying that those who are willing to say, uh, I don't know everything, or I don't have it all figured out, or they're the ones that actually tend to be smarter based off of the survey than those who say they do know. So when you're thinking of being offended or angry, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Is it making you more like Jesus, your anger? Is it an anger-filled situation because you're trying to point others to Jesus? Or is it simply because you're trying to make a point? All right. 
I'm offended that you're telling me that I'm offended, Aaron. That maybe is what you're thinking. I'm offended right now that you're saying I'm, I'm easily offended. Now what? Now what do I do? I mean, I'm right there with you. Because being offended internally, it's inevitable. People are going to irk us the wrong way. But living offended is a choice. It's a choice that we can make. We can choose to value other things instead of offense. There's an interesting story Jesus tells, and I think it applies so well, especially when you know the context. Uh, it's a parable, uh, which means kind of like a hypothetical story, and it's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. And it's in Matthew 18, starting at verse 21 is where we're going to look. And it's a time where Peter, this, this follower of Jesus back then, he, he asked Jesus, and he goes, how many times should I forgive someone? How many times do I got to forgive someone that does something against me? Maybe like seven times is what he throws out there. Maybe like seven times. Is that good? Well, Jesus responds in verse 22. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven, implying way more, infinity, past counting, right? You're not counting, well, I'm at 490 times, you know? But then he tells this story right after to imply his point. He says, heaven, uh, he says, tells this hypothetical story, and he says, heaven will be like this king who's settling a debt with his servant. It starts with a king with, with settling some debts between his servant of what his servant owes. And what it, starts, it says this, it says, when he began to settle the king, one was brought to him, his servant, who owed him 10,000 talents. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. That's amazing. But when that same servant went out being forgiven, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in the prison until his debt could be paid in full. We see there's no understanding of mercy and grace from the servant. Well, the story, it ends kind of harshly. It says this in verse 31. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man who had, he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That's... The story to show how we're to forgive, how God has forgiven us much and how we are to forgive kind of little. But specifically on how much we've been forgiven versus how much we should forgive others is an interesting part of the story that I want to share with you because it should remind us on when we experience offense from people, it's so small compared to how much offense we've done to God. I heard a sermon on this a few, few weeks ago, and they actually talked about the, what the values of the two things owed were. There's an, a, a denarii and a talent. So I, I have it up here for you. So the main servant, he owed 10,000 talents. A talent is about 6,000 denarii. One denarii is about a daily wage, what someone would make for a daily average wage. And in, in the U.S. right now, it's $154 a day. 
one talent is equal to $927,000. 6,000 talents is $9 billion. That's what he owed. And then you look over here, you have the 100 denarii of what someone owed him. Again, the denarii is, is 154, and then 100 of them is 15,000. Billions versus thousands. It's an insane amount that's so different. God has forgiven us billions, things we would never be able to repay. We, like the servant, are offended the little at times and can barely forgive the thousands. We've been forgiven much by the offenses we've done against God. We are to forgive a much smaller amount of that to others instead of getting angry. Because again, your anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Whether we're right or not, our anger in response does not produce the righteousness God wants. It doesn't matter what the topic is. Once in a while, I get criticism as a pastor, as, as our church, and, and it's usually through Facebook or email, um, which creates its own problems these days, right? Like, it's just like so easy to send something like that over. But I get these messages, and I don't know if you're like me, but as I'm reading messages that generally are negative, there's a tone, you read it in your brain. Have you been there? Like those texts or whatever you get, like there's a tone. Uh, I instantly make the voice like when, the, when I'm reading these messages, uh, and like it's like words that like you see are like, okay, yes. They're like really harsh and like serious. Like that's the tone I tend to read, and whenever I get something that I know is just negative. And then my sent messages, just FYI, my sent messages, they're always nice. Just know that. They're always nice. They're always chill and super friendly. There's never a mean tone. Anyways, people message me, and they say like, ah, you're too fun here. Again, that's my tone. No, you're too fun here. My message is they don't lead people to Jesus, or, or we make following Jesus, it's too, we make it too easy. We water things down, or we're not teaching the full gospel, or we're just not doing the things that a church should do. Honestly, I'm offended. I think they're wrong. I'm offended. I think they're wrong. Sure, I can see some of their viewpoint that, that maybe we're disrupting their personal style, like whether it's a music style, or, or maybe, maybe they like longer sermons. Maybe they, maybe they want more church language. But I hear these things, and I know they're just wrong, and I'm angry, and I want to fight it. I want to fight so bad. But my anger, especially in that moment when I want to come smashing with some points, smashing with some st statistics, I know I shouldn't. I shouldn't respond, at least in my anger-like state. But to maybe take it one more level, what if I don't let it offend me? What if I don't let it offend me? I can choose to let it allow me to lose some sleep over it, or I can choose to let it go. I can choose to tell my wife about it, have a little chuckle, but then put it away and go play with my daughter and have a really good night, or be offended. Honestly, I'm still learning how to handle these well, because they do mess with me. They really do. And I get offended, and they can ruin some evenings. But I remind myself, do I want to make a point, or do I want to make a difference? not being offended, having fun with my kid or my family, choosing to not get into an argument is going to refuel me, actually. That's what's going to refuel me and help make a bigger difference in the long run. Making a point to some online debater, not really worth it. I mean, have you been there before? You have, right? How often do you get offended by a message or an email or see a post or hear the comment or see the headline? 
and want to address it in comment specs so bad, right? And let's be real. All of us have kind of fallen to it at times, right? Like where we do it, we write it, we say it. You think about the fine details that you're about to type back or respond back with. You send it, you edit it, you reread it, you remove it, you repost it, you worry. You watch for the dots and then they don't come and then the dots come again. And then finally you get something back and, and you're like, oh, I'm going to crush you. Like I'm going to get something back at you. So you make another post and you wait to see how they respond. And you actually miss out on engaging in your dinner that you were having with your, with your wife or your family because you're so worried about this post. And then you're going back and forth, and all of a sudden you're missing out on the playtime and the fun time with your family. You're up late, and, you're, and all of a sudden you're, you're back and forth, and all of a sudden you're losing sleep preparing for this argument because you're up late preparing for it. We want to make a point so bad, but is our anger producing righteousness God wants? No. No. Is our crafty back and forth debate with some troll really pointing anyone to Jesus? Jesus wants us unoffended, quick to listen, slow to speak, quick to forgive. Jesus didn't call us to be right. He called us to be loving. Again, John 13, 34, it says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Don't hear me wrong on this. I'm not saying be a pushover or to never take criticism. Action and anger, they're different. They're different. I can act to combat something I disagree with, but not when I'm angry. Not when I'm angry. I can approach tackling an issue or cause or discussion when the anger and offense has seceded. I can reflect and think through a comment. I can make statements, actions, and state my results. But to act in my anger-filled moment or my moment of offendedness, Jesus doesn't want it. He says, don't do it. We are to choose to be unoffended and restrain in our anger. I got to ask you, are you doing that? with your family, with your friends, with the people you disagree with at work? Are you doing that online? As we spend our last five minutes, I wanna give you four things to help you actually do that, to live unoffendable. The first one is this. Lower your expectations of people. We're all sinful. Lower your expectations of people. Uh, in 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 4, it says this. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's me. I, I can find myself in some of that. That's you, I'm sure. How often have you been offended by people because they did one of those things? What if we just stopped? Just stop being surprised about someone offending you doing one of those. And know that people are going to offend you. People are people. We know people are broken. Others are broken people because we're broken people. We know others are mess-ups and do dumb things and say dumb, hurtful things because we do it too. We know we all fall short to God. People split up being offended by each other all the time doing dumb things. Why not not get offended by it? Why not not be surprised and move on? It's a conscious choice you can make. The second thing you can do is, is be humble. Be humble. It says is this in Philippians. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. 
We, are, we all think we're smarter than others, right? But it's not the way of God. Be humble. Be one that's ready to learn. We don't all have to agree, but don't think of yourself as smarter or better or more knowing than others. You then won't be so offended if they say something you disagree with. You don't have to agree with them, but you also don't have to instantly think you're right and combat it. The third thing is this. Understand the grace you've been given. You've been forgiven a ginormous debt, right? A ginormous debt between you and God. You've been forgiven that. Have you embraced that? How big that actually is. Billions over thousands. It's not even close to comparison. Or lastly, in response to that amazing gift, be merciful. Be merciful. Give grace and mercy to the ones who offend you. There's an old saying in, in marriage, I believe, is when it's used mostly, is that you shouldn't go to bed angry. Has anybody heard that before? Don't go to bed angry. Anybody? Are you sleeping out there? It's like late now. Uh, uh, yeah. Don't go to bed angry. Don't go to bed angry. It's one, my wife and I, we've kind of lived by it a little bit in our house. Um, not to say that we don't ever go to bed angry. We just might not sleep. Right? We just might not sleep because we're duking it out in the bedroom, actually, in the non-exciting way. Um, but that's basically what we're doing. We're duking it out. We're not, doing the bed, we're not going to bed angry. But it's actually in Scripture. It says this in, in Ephesians. If your anger... Or in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Again, being offended or angered, it's inevitable. But living with it is a choice. Choose to not let it sink in. Choose to not let it fester for more than a day before the sun goes down. Imagine how different your friendships would be if that was the case. Your marriages, your families. If on the same day you are offended or you offended someone, was the same day that you forgave them, or you, uh, you were forgiven. That's amazing. Think of how amazing relationships could be. As we wrap up, which one do you need to work on? Which one do you need to work on? I'm going to make a giant assumption here today and say that we all get offended at times, myself included. So what do we need to do to have that happen less? For you, is it to expect less of people. Expect less of people. No people are going to mess up. Don't let it surprise you. Don't let it offend you. Accept it. Choose to let it go quickly. For you, maybe it's being humble. Actually think, maybe I don't know. Maybe someone else knows better than me. Maybe I'm not as smart as I thought. And ask more questions versus making statements. Maybe you need to realize the grace you've received. Realize that you've been given so much grace from the God of the universe. If you've never embraced that, I have something for you in a second. Maybe for you it's being merciful. Give mercy, give grace to others. Forgive just a small portion of what you've been given because honestly, God commands it. But it will lead you to a less offendable life. If you've never realized how much grace you've received from God because of his choice to give you the gift of grace of Jesus dying on the cross and you want to accept that gift for the first time, you can. You can start a relationship with God, start a journey by simply saying, God, I'm easily offended. I know I've offended you a ton, but I want your direction in life, God. Help me daily, not just through Sundays, but daily. And just tell God you want to accept that gift. And you're on your journey as a Christian of following him. You can say that in your head and your heart. I'm going to pray for those that want to do that personally, but I'm also going to pray for us that are here and are just saying, God, I want to be less offendable. 
when it comes to relationships, when it comes to politics, when it comes to the headlines, when it comes to the talking points. I'm going to pray for us to become less offendable on these things. If you want that too, and have God make that more aware to you of how to do that, you can pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for giving us some teaching on how to, to be unoffendable. God, some of us are saying, thanks for the grace that you've given us. We've just realized how big of a debt we've created between you and us, and you've forgiven it. You just freely gave that. We want to accept that, and we want, to, we want your direction in life. We know we've, we've made some offenses against you, but be with us. Help us move forward. And then, God, some of us are saying right now, help us not be so offended easily. Help us move forward in our relationships, our families, people online. Help us not be so quick to be offended, but move forward and model love. In your name we pray. Amen.